Good morning. Interesting text. I would like us to pray. Would you join me? Holy Spirit, we welcome you this morning. We thank you for all that you're doing here in this city and beyond to nations of the world, certainly in Guatemala. We invite your presence here. Please bring your influence to bear, Lord, upon us, upon me. You know me, you know my mind, you know my condition, you know my need. May I listen, may I hear, may I share, may we receive, may you be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. I picked some, some verses that precede the particular focus of today's message. We're doing a series called Simple Practices. As I mentioned before, some people call these holy habits, things that we can do that will actually help us to connect with God, to experience his remarkable and kind and beautiful and powerful influence. And the thing we're gonna focus on this morning is fasting. We've talked about prayer and the study of the word, the reading of the word. We've talked about the, the discipline of even praising God. Today I'm gonna to focus on on fasting, but I, I think it's interesting to note that in this chapter, which is a part of what is often referred to as Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, of course, is speaking. If you have a red-letter Bible that highlights the words of Jesus that way, you see that these are the words of Jesus, and he's cautioning followers of, of his uh, so that they don't, they don't practice various things in order to gain attention from people and accolades from people. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men, before people, in order to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you've received your reward. And he's talking about such things as, as giving to the poor. Don't do it for show. And then he goes on to say, and when you pray, don't, don't do that for show. And then he wants us to understand that when we fast, that too must not be about drawing unnecessary and unwholesome uh, attention to ourselves, but we need to be drawing attention to the Lord, and we need to be bringing our hearts before the Lord with regard to such practices as fasting and praying and so forth. I think it's interesting that it's a given that Jesus expects us to fast. He says, when you fast, not if you fast, just like he says, when you give to the poor and when you pray. Um, so fasting is something that's assumed. So what, what is fasting? What is fasting? And there's a lot of here, people here who could, who could answer that question. It basically has to do with abstaining uh, from food, sometimes from liquid, uh, sometimes just simply uh, reducing one's intake of food to obtain breakthroughs. And what's a breakthrough? I think most of us get that term, but let's unpack it a little bit. A breakthrough happens when you're facing a challenge and you're not feeling hope. You're, you're feeling like things are gonna always be as they are, and you need something to change, and you're wondering if it ever will change. And God is called the God of all hope. He wants us to experience his influence and see that with him, all things are possible. I was doing some stretching in my kitchen. When you have back issues, you need to stretch your hamstrings a lot. And I have an island counter in my kitchen, and I was getting, believe it or not, I got my heel up there on the island counter, and I was stretching, and I was talking to the Lord. I was making what I call big asks of the Lord. And one of my asks was very, I would say, improbable. 
It had to do with praying for a wife. And I won't tell you what that ask was because it was very personal, but it was very improbable. And I said to the Lord, you know, Lord, the chances of this happening are, are so improbable. I, I don't know, maybe I should just not ask for this anymore. And I sensed the Holy Spirit saying, you know, I am the God of the impossible. God just wants us to remember that. He's the God of the impossible. God wants to be with us in every trouble, in every trial, in every challenge, in every situation. He wants to be invited in. Why? Because as we've said, and we'll keep repeating this, you know what it takes, according to neurological scientists, it takes seven times to hear something before it even begins to land. That's why Jesus said, again I say to you, again I say to you. Peter in his epistle writes, you know, I'm going to remind you of these things again and again and again. So I, I'm not ashamed of reminding you and saying the same things over and over again. God is not intrusive. How do we know that? He stands at the door and knocks. He says, if you, you hear my voice, you hear my knock, you open the door, then, then I'll come in. In 1 Corinthians, Paul writes about love and we learn that God is love. And love doesn't insist on its own way. God is just waiting. You know, in Isaiah, it says he longs to be gracious to us. He aches to be gracious to us. He wants us to invite him in. And so we need breakthroughs. Everybody needs a breakthrough. Everybody at at some point in their life needs something that might qualify as a miracle. I remember my son Jude, when he was preaching, he liked to say the only prerequisite for a miracle is an impossibility. An impossibility. Maybe you're in a marriage and you think this this will never get better. Maybe you're in a job situation. You think, man, uh, I've never experienced anything remotely close to my dream career. I wonder if anything can ever change. Maybe there's a habit that has complete control over you and you can't break three. You just can't break free. God wants to introduce hope. He wants you to know that with him, all things are possible. So people fasted, they abstained from food, sometimes entirely. Sometimes they just simply reduced their intake in order to get uh, breakthroughs. That's what fasting is about. I like to think of fasting this way. So we've all had those jars in the kitchen. No matter how strong you think you are, you're not strong enough to take the lid off. Anybody else have had that problem? But there's that little rubber thing. I don't know what you call that thing. I looked online to find out what you call it. A rubber jar opener, lid opener. But you you put that, that rubber thing over the lid and suddenly you can really get a grip and most of the time you can get that lid off. See, I I think fasting is like that. Fasting is a tool that adds oomph to your prayers. It adds oomph to your prayers. That's why in one place. When the disciples tried to cast a demon out of somebody and they were unsuccessful, and it surprised them because they'd been very successful. Jesus had given them authority and power and they'd been casting demons out of people. And they said, Lord, how come we couldn't do it? And he said, this kind of demon, he's essentially saying this, this kind of demon is so deeply lodged that this demon can only be dislodged by prayer and fasting. See, Jesus was always prayed up and fasted up. He was always ready for such challenges. But fasting will provide oomph 
to your prayers. So what, what's the why? why? Why would we fast? I think I've already made that clear. We're looking for breakthroughs, but I want to share some Bible facts about fasting that will probably add some light to that question, the why. In, in Israel's history, ancient Israel, the people of God, also known as the Jews, the descendants of Abraham, there was only one fast appointed for them in the Mosaic law, and it was to be held on the Day of Atonement. But when they were taken into captivity by the Babylonians in about 586 BC, they began to hold four annual fasts. And then fasts were sometimes called on a national level to bring about repentance. You read about this in Nehemiah 9. Nehemiah was at the tail end of the Babylonian captivity and he was beginning to see the restoration of God's people to their land. And he knew that they needed the influence of God if God was gonna restore them in fullness to his purposes on that land. And so he asked everybody that he had influence with to join him in fasting. He knew that they needed God. And he knew that they needed repentance. Repentance is a Bible word. A lot of times we really don't understand what this word means. Repentance actually means to experience a change of thinking that results in a change of direction. So if you wanna go to Alexandria and you get on Interstate 94 and about three miles down the road you realize you mistakenly were going west toward Fargo, you decide, I, I've got to get off as soon as I can. And so you exit as soon as you can, and you get back on the highway in the other direction, and you move toward Alexandria. You were experiencing repentance. Repentance is a change of thinking that results in a change of your action. That's what repentance is. And nations need repentance. Individuals need repentance. We need to think differently about our lives. When we hear the gospel, we learn that Jesus gives us access to God, that there is actually no access to God without Jesus. That might sound very narrow-minded. say, Kevin, there's a lot of people that don't believe that. I know that. That's why they need to learn that. Jesus said it. I didn't say it. He said, I'm the way. He didn't say, I'm a way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one comes to the Father. No one except by me. Proverbs says there is a way that seems right to people, but in the end, it leads to death. There's a lot of people who think that because their beliefs are sincere, that they're going to wind up in the right place. But if you were sincerely going to Fargo thinking you're going to Alexandria, guess what? You're not going to wind up in the right place. So repentance gives us the opportunity to think differently, and I like that myself. I've grown so much when I can think differently about things. When I can think the way God wants me to think. God has thoughts about things. How life can go better. Thoughts about your future. God says, I know the plans I have for you. Plans for welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. Well, Lord, if you have plans, you have thoughts, would you help me to learn them? What do you have in mind? Because I'll tell you what he doesn't have in mind. He doesn't have in mind this idea of micromanaging you. 
but he does have in mind that he would like to influence you to help you to identify the best version of yourself you can identify, which is consistent with who he made you to be. God created you. We've talked about this here. Remember, I'm going to remind you of things. Ephesians 2.10, you are God's masterpiece, it says. You're created. You're not a mistake. You're not an accident. You're created in Christ Jesus for good works, for a destiny, a destiny. God doesn't take a cookie-cutter approach to destiny. We don't all have the same destiny when it comes to what we're going to do with our lives here on this side of heaven. Is this making sense? God wants us to experience repentance as individuals. He wants us to experience repentance as a nation. What would happen if in this nation people had a spiritual awakening, if they had a realization, you know, if we're going to receive, if we're going to have a different future, a better future as a country, we need to somehow experience the God that we say we trust, the God who's, who's Presence we acknowledge on our dollar bill where it says, in God we trust. We need to acknowledge that some countries, some nations have had spiritual awakenings. America has had a number of spiritual awakenings. And we need another one. And that comes from repentance. And repentance is a gift. It's not something you can manufacture. In the New Testament, three times it says repentance is granted. Or it's not. We need to seek God for repentance. Would you agree with that? So in Israel's history, sometimes they would call for a a fast because they needed repentance. They needed the grace to repent. They needed the grace to turn to God, to include God. It takes grace to include God. It takes grace to believe in God. It takes God's influence to experience his power. We can't do it on our own. We can't do it on our own. So that's one reason why people fasted under the old covenant and why they fast today. And King David in Psalm 35 said he humbled his soul with fasting. You know, he realized he, realized he needed humility. Humility is a virtue. It's something that is often lacking from our lives. Humility gives you perspective. It helps you to see that you don't know things as well as you think you know them. It makes you less opinionated. It inserts a little uncertainty in your life so that you're a little bit slower to speak. Like James says, be slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to become angry, for the anger of man doesn't achieve the righteous life that God desires. He said, I humbled my soul with fasting by abstaining from food. Sometimes fasts were observed with great strictness. When you read in Esther about the kind of fast she practiced, It was what we call a total fast, no water, no food, for a predetermined period of time. Sometimes it was just a plain diet, like in Daniel chapter 10, it was just vegetables only. Sometimes people fasted under the old covenant, they wore something called sackcloth, which was a a coarsely woven woven fabric that was worn to indicate a state of mourning. And, And sometimes they also put ashes on their head to remind themselves of their condition of spiritual poverty without God. Fasting was understood as something that influenced God to turn his attention to the cries of his people. You know, when we're willing to forego 
or restrict the privilege of eating, God takes it seriously. In the New Testament, we have references made to the fact that that the Jews of Jesus' day practiced fasting regularly. We know that Jesus fasted, so did Paul. And as noted in today's text, Jesus assumes that we're gonna fast. In the early church and beyond, we see lots of documents from the first couple hundred years of the church that substantiate the value of fasting. And then the reformers, people like Luther and Calvin, uh, acknowledged the validity of the practice, but reminded us that there was nothing meritorious in it in terms of receiving salvation. Not a big surprise from those guys. Today, I think you'll agree, Christians typically give lip service to fasting, but little emphasis seems to be placed on it. In my own experience, it's, it's done three things for me. Three things that come to mind immediately. The first is it's, it seems to recalibrate me and it, it attunes me to God. Sometimes I feel like I'm out of sorts with the Lord, or am I the only one that ever feels that way? And feelings can be misleading. They can also help you learn a lot about yourself, but they can be misleading. Would you agree with that? And sometimes I just feel entirely out of sorts. Even though I've read my Bible and I've been seeking the Lord and I'm a part of a community, sometimes I, I can get on the car and somebody give me that universal gesture of disapproval. Guess what? I become not a very good version of myself. I have fantasies about what I like to do to people like that. Even at 70 years of age, I have fantasies. I imagine what I possibly even could do, but I might need the help of an equalizer, which might be something like a three-inch pipe, three-foot pipe. I take all the help I can get. But it recalibrates me. When I fast, it just seems to tune me back in, to dial me back in to the frequency of the Father. It challenges my deification of food. I, I, I tend to deify food. I, 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 I love food. I have had a lot of challenges with being a bad steward of my health. And I pray a lot about being a better steward of my health. I need the help of the Holy Spirit to do that. But, you know, when I want to pig out, I, I'll tell you, it gets ugly. So when I fast, it challenges my deification of food. Going without food, even for several hours, is, it, can be, it can be tough. But thirdly, it's consistently provided breakthroughs. Back in 2013, I was the interim president of a seminary, and I didn't know how bad things were for the seminary when I took on that role, and the guy who had led it before me was a, gr- a great leader, a-, a fantastic leader, but he was, he was doing two full-time jobs at once, and he-, he decided to leave, and he asked me if I would be the interim guy. I said, yeah, I'll be the interim guy, and, and I had already been on staff. I'd been the dean of students there, and it was a really cool school. It was a school with an equal emphasis on spiritual and character formation, hands-on supervised field training, and the classroom. And we, we told people when they were applying, you know, we reserve the right to not graduate you. You may be a star in the classroom, but if you're not willing to grow in the grace of knowledge of Jesus and become, you know, more like Jesus, we won't graduate you. And we'll get in your business. This is a school where every student was, was given a mentor, and the mentor, we told them, that mentor that mentor's gonna get into your business. They're gonna ask you really tough and personal questions, and if you don't want that, this isn't the place for you. This is a great school, amazing school. 
But when I became that interim president, I got a chance to look at the financial reports, stuff I wasn't privy to before. And I saw how bad things were. I found out that vendors hadn't been paid. I found out that instructors, a lot of instructors hadn't been paid. I, found, I needed to lay people off. And then I had some board members who were really getting in my grill about this condition, wondering how, how things were this bad. And I said, wait a second. I'm looking at these books for the first time. You've been on the board. You've been getting financial reports for years. Why are you surprised? But it was a tough time, a really tough time. And we didn't know if the school had a future. We didn't know if the next best thing for the school was to shut it down. You know, sometimes that's an honorable thing. Sometimes churches need to be shut down. And I've done that. And so here we were, and I had a ministry colleague. Her name was Kendra. She grew up in Alexandria, very godly woman. And she said, you know, we've really got to seek the Lord about the future of this school. She said, I'm not willing to fight harder for this school than God is willing to fight. And I thought that was a, a word from the Lord. Because what? Unless the Lord builds the house, those that build it labor in vain. God, are you willing to fight for this school? Do you want to fight for this school? Does this school have a future we should fight for? Lord, what's your answer? And we didn't seem to be able to hear him. So, you know, I asked everybody on the staff and the board and friends of the school, would you join me in fasting? We want to fast for three days, and we don't want to tell people how that's going to look. For some of us, we wanted to fast from liquid and food for three full days. I went like two and a half days, and I had the loss of electrolytes. My, my legs cramped up. I couldn't walk, so I started getting, you know, something that would restore my electrolytes. But you know, people were, some of them were doing partial fasts. It really didn't matter. We just wanted people to fast, to abstain from food in whatever way they felt was safest for them, given their individual health challenges. And we wanted to pray intensely, God, show us, does this school have a future? And we decided at the end of the third day, we were going to meet at Kendra's home, and we were going to pray, and we were going to wait on the Lord and see if he would speak to us. And we worshiped and we waited on God and there were several prophetic people who were there and they said, you know, we hear the Lord saying that it's not time to close the school, that this school has a future. This was 10 years ago. It was only a matter of months. We were doing a search for a new president. We found the right one. We found the person who not only had the vision, had all the capacity to do everything this particular school needed. And in the 10 years, he reduced tuition by, by 50% so that, so that our students could graduate without debt. And, and the income of the school just it changed dramatically. It's prospered over these last 10 years. But it was because we, I believe, because we, we sought the Lord. We included the Lord with praying, but also with fasting. And some of you have been praying seriously, but you need a breakthrough that hasn't come through your praying. Maybe you need to do some fasting. had a friend who was really up against it. I mean, so much stress in her life and challenges. I could hardly get my mind around what she was facing, and she had told me some of the stuff she was facing, and I, I just sensed I need to fast for her. And it was just a one-day fast. And, and she got back to me. At the end of the day, she said, man, did I have an unusual day. She told me about three things that God, God did for her that day that were breakthrough things, things that gave her great encouragement. That's what breakthrough 
I mean, that's what breakthrough looks like, but that's what fasting has been like in my, in my experience. When I fast, um, I usually decide to fast a particular day of the week. And, and you know, for me, fasting works best if I fast from the time that I get up for about nine hours straight. That was a general practice of the early church. They would, they would fast from about uh, 6 a.m. to 3 p.m. And I'll fast from whenever I get up till about whatever, nine hours later. And during that time, I'm just a little bit more attuned to the Lord, a little bit more in sync with the Lord. And, and sometimes I fast for myself. Sometimes I'm fasting for one of my children. Sometimes I'm fasting for a, another person, a friend who really needs a breakthrough, needs a miracle. I remember my oldest son was five years of age and he would wake up with these terrible uh, night terrors. And all of our praying with, with what we thought was authority just was unsuccessful, and we decided to fast. And, and he said, I'd like to fast too, a five-year-old. He said, I want to fast too. And, and this was Luke, you know, our son. He, from the time he was four or five, he was eating like an adult. I mean, I remember a Saturday morning, I was making pancakes for all the kids, and he ate his big stack of pancakes. Then he said, hey, Dad, can I have a bowl of cereal? I mean, this was a kid who he ate cereal out of a satellite dish. I mean, he was, we wondered if he had tapeworms. He was never, never full. And he said, I want to fast. And we gave him a little coaching on what that might look like for him. We didn't want him to faint. But he participated through, too, and guess what? Those, those night terrors disappeared. They just left. They never came back. Fasting. Sometimes that's, that's exactly what you need. So what are you facing? What are you facing where you'd like to invite God to do something more, something exceptional, something that you would characterize as a breakthrough? What could we use fasting for collectively? I think we should fast for our church. Not just because we've faced conflict, but because every church needs fasting and prayer. We need the influence of God. We always need fasting. It shouldn't be something we do just for special occasions. Would you consider it? Yeah. So it's another one of the disciplines. It's another one of the things that helps us to connect uh, to God. It doesn't save you, but if you're a saved person, you're a person in relationship with God, it can help you experience a breakthrough. Maybe, maybe you have some physical conditions that make it difficult for you to do a, a complete fast, a fast without water or food, or maybe you can just do a partial fast or maybe, maybe for the time being, you ought to try fasting in another way. Maybe fast from social media. Maybe TV. Those, I'm not saying those things are evil. I'm just saying sometimes we get too attached to things. It's good to fast about things we get too attached to. We have too much attraction to. So I want to call up the worship team and... And while they're coming up here, I want to just simply say, would you open your heart to Jesus to ask him to help you 
to respond to this message in the way that will please him. You never have to please me. You don't have to please any human beings. But if God spoke to you today through this message about fasting, would you just simply say, Jesus, help me. Help me to to act on this word the way you want me to act on this word. Help me to become a doer, not just somebody who accumulates information, who can answer questions about things like fasting, but somebody who's gonna learn about fasting in order to fast. Jesus, help me. Would you make that your prayer right now? And join me. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you that you are my savior. Thank you that you are my deliverer. And thank you that you showed me the the way. You fasted. You sought your Father with fasting. Your fasting sustained you when you were in the wilderness and facing temptation by the evil one. Help me to fast. Help me to to be a doer. Help me to be more attuned to you. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you would like a relationship with Jesus, you're watching online, and you'd like to experience Jesus, just say, Jesus, Help me to open my heart to you. Come into my life. Wash away my sins. Make me the person I can never make me. And I ask this in Jesus' name. If you agree with that prayer, would you say amen?